So today on the show, we're going to look at stories of Americans working to understand what photographs showed them. We'll follow the career of one of the 19th century's most famous spirit photographers. Plus, we'll look at how Midwestern towns sold themselves through some truly spectacular photographs of produce. But first, many historians have a document, a letter, a diary, or even an image that changes the way they see their own research. For Martha Sandweiss, the documents she keeps coming back to are a small collection of daguerreotypes taken in the 1840s. By then, formal daguerreotype portraits taken in private studios were relatively common. But the images Sandweiss found were something very different. They were outdoor scenes, some showing American soldiers marching through the streets in Mexico during the Mexican-American War. They first came to her attention in the 1980s under some pretty unusual circumstances. Since then, Sandweiss says she's never been able to get them out of her mind. It's 1981, and I'm a new and very young photography curator at the Eamon Carter Museum in Fort Worth, Texas. I received a call from a book dealer friend who said, have you heard the news? Another three dozen or so Mexican war daguerreotypes have just been discovered. And I said, well, where are they? Tell me about them. And I called the person who had the daguerreotypes in their possession and asked if he could send them to me on approval. He said, no. I said, could I come to your house and look at them? He said, no. I said, could I meet you in the nearest big city and look at them with you? No. So we agreed to meet at Dulles Airport. I felt a little bit like a CIA spy here. I flew to Dulles Airport and met a man who was carrying a large brown grocery bag. And inside were 38 daguerreotype portraits and views, all related to the Mexican-American War. Daguerreotypes are conventionally packaged in a little case with protective glass over their surface. These had no protective case. Instead, he had wrapped each one in a paper towel. A fingerprint on the surface of a daguerreotype will leave a mark forever. And every time the seller jostled the bag, I imagined a bit of the daguerreotype image rubbing off against those abrasive paper towels. The daguerreotype process was invented in France in 1839. A Daguerrean camera doesn't look that different than other 19th century cameras, but what you put in it was a specially prepared sheet of silver-plated copper that had a light-sensitive silver solution on its surface. You remove the lens cap, light hits your subject, light enters the camera and impresses itself upon the surface of the specially prepared plate. Remove it from the camera, you process it, and that's it. Every daguerreotype is unique. That is, there is no negative for it. You can't make multiple copies from a negative. So when you hold a daguerreotype in your hand, you are holding in your hand something that was physically in the presence of the subject of that image. They're like magic. 
1927, a lucky collector found a dozen daguerreotypes related to the Mexican-American War. These were the first that had been found. And one of them was published in 1938 in a an important book about the history of photography. And it's an amazing image. It shows General John Wool, accompanied as always by his military retainers, pausing during a march down a street in occupied Saltillo, Mexico. A Mexican onlooker watches through a window and a dog stops to watch from the sidewalk. It's an extraordinary image. And for anyone interested in the history of photography, these were like the Holy Grail. And the war was a kind of marvel of new technology. There were steamships, there were telegraph wires. And that meant that not only could the war be fought in a different way, it could be reported in a different way. And they're not only the world's first photographs of war, they are, I think, perhaps the world's earliest examples of photojournalism. The very first time a photographer recorded something for its newsworthy value. During the Daguerrean era, about 95% of all daguerreotypes made were portraits. They were made under very tightly controlled studio conditions. Outdoor views, however, are much, much more rare, and that's what's so special about this collection. We see soldiers standing in the streets. We see soldiers with rifles on the tops of buildings. We see artillery arrayed across the plain near the battlefield of Buena Vista. I really wanted to come up with the name of the world's earliest photojournalist. But after years, years of tracking down every lead about every photographer floating around the war zones of northern Mexico in 1847, I really couldn't say with any certainty who made these. And even more frustrating, I couldn't figure out what impact these images had. But at the time, it seemed like no one ever saw them. I mean, to us, they're precious eyewitness views of a key historical event. But in the late 1840s, no one cared. Really, this is, this is a, a moment that a lot of historians face in their work. Sometimes you can't figure out what you want to figure out. The key to unraveling the problem and finding my story came from a, one small, stark daguerreotype in the collection. It's about three inches high, four inches wide identified with a paper label on the back as the burial site of the son of Henry Clay in Mexico. Let me describe it. An open grave with a wooden cross at its head sits in the foreground of the image, and bare tree branches cast their shadows on the adobe vault just behind it, built to hold another coffin. It's really a bleak scene. And we know what it is only by the paper label glued to the back. But that information is really useful to a historian because Henry Clay Jr., the son of the Kentucky statesman, we know that he was killed at the Battle of Buena Vista on February 23rd, 1847. And so with that, we know precisely where our mysterious photographer was, when. And Clay's death was covered everywhere in the American newspapers. It spawned poetry. It spawned reflections on the meaning of a patriotic death. And yet no one saw the daguerreotype. But what people did see, and this was the key to unraveling everything, was a highly popular print, a colored lithograph made by the great 
printmakers, Courier and Ives. And this image looks so different. It shows the dying clay front and center in the arms of a colleague. A riderless steed stands behind them. American soldiers in the background pursue the fleeing Mexicans. And Clay speaks with outstretched arm, presumably saying what were widely reported to be his final words. I will not live. Tell my men to fight on and return my pistols to my father. The print has a narrative story. It compresses time. It has a past. He got wounded. It has a present. He's dying and speaking these words. And it has a future because the title is The Death of Henry Clay Jr. He will die. And in contrast, what is that daguerreotype? It was utterly incapable of conveying the kind of patriotic rhetoric that encoded with meaning the death of this young American in a far-off war. And that was really an aha moment for me, looking at the very narrative print next to this tiny little daguerreotype. Photography was a new medium in 1847, and Americans simply did not know how to read or value photographic images. That would have to be a learned behavior. It's always a challenge for a historian to escape their own way of thinking about the world or their own way of thinking about evidence and try to imagine how people at the time experienced an event or experienced a document about that event. I was thrilled when I found these daguerreotypes. Really, I got goosebumps when I held these little plates in my hand and thought this plate was there watching the soldiers on the street, watching the artillery on the battlefield of Buena Vista, watching General Wool march down an occupied street. Of course I imagined that people in the 1840s felt that way too, and it took me a very long time to realize that they didn't, that my ideas about photography, my ideas about photojournalism, my deep, deep sense that we understand war and violence better through photography simply wasn't a current idea in the middle of the 19th century. This is a case that taught me that photographs can be valuable as primary sources in and of themselves. They not only document events, they they can, as in this case, lead me to understand much bigger questions about cultural history. Martha Sandweiss is a historian at Princeton University and the author of Print the Legend, Photography and the American West, 